Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all gonna get laid. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard, a pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Oh, the thickest double time. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I'm JMV, and I'm damn glad to talk with you on this Wednesday. Thank you for joining us in... No matter what way you decide to join us, it is spectacular that you do every single Monday through Friday, and then on a Saturday night, and then maybe sometimes on a Sunday. Appreciate it here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The means in which you can tune in, we'll get to inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Assemble accordingly. A lot of Boilermaker football conversation. We'll dive into the college hoop conversation coming up. Got some of that tonight, too. Butler gets a win last night over Yale. Yale's pretty decent. Yale's got a good, consistent team. Now, Butler gets a win. Got IU, got Purdue. And you have Jeff Brom. I am not going to give it up, although it appears that our anonymous caller yesterday that leaked the news might have been 100% accurate. But Jeff Brom's going home. Now, you can look at this 9,000 different ways. You go to Louisville, you get to play within the ACC. Uh, the way now that they have or will move forward with the college football playoff, uh, that makes sense with the competition you have to get through compared to the competition you know, even in the the Big Ten West, but the Big Ten West will be adding both USC and UCLA. And even though Kevin Warren said today, uh, no additions as of right now, they'll be making additions just like the SEC will. And you'll have a couple of these one of these days, and that's going to be about it. And everybody's going to have to find a seat. Boilermaker fans can tell me. I have a lot of them. I have a lot of Boilermaker fans or listeners that are friends, too. Now, Garen Carnes is a big one. I know that he works and normally calls in at the end of the show. He might be, uh, between he and Todd Meyer, our executive producer, the most educated of the Boilermaker fans. But I'm sure I'll hear from a lot of folks today about the direction in which they want to go. And there have been a na- every name's out there, um, and they all, to me so far, make a great deal of sense. Mine doesn't. Like mine doesn't because there's no way this would happen. 
I think mine just comes from, I don't know if it's more of a flavor of the moment, if it's more from two years ago, you know, giving IU football that boost during the pandemic. And not Tom Allen. But I think one of my favorite coaches out there right now, and again, he's already in a Power Five. He's already in the Pac-12. He's at a good school. But if I want to turn on and watch a football game and I want to be captivated by offense, I I want to watch Kalen DeBoer coach, I think. I want to watch his players play a little bit of offense. I think you really discovered it this past year. Maybe you had forgotten about it when he was at Fresno State. And again, I'm not dropping this in there as a potential candidate because I just that's not going to happen. I'm just telling you, of all these names are getting tossed around of these coaches that you don't often pay attention to, uh, the guy that was the offensive coordinator a couple of years ago at IU is the one that I probably like the most right now. I enjoy watching his team play. I enjoy watching Michael Penix Jr. play. He's going to be about 25 when he gets the hell out of there, but good for him. He's going to make a crap ton of money. You imagine? You imagine when you're in college, how much were you making in college? Once upon a time, I had a short-lived gig working in the automotive department at Sears at the Honey Creek Square Mall in Terre Haute. It was short-lived. Yeah, there was a party, and I had to host it, and I couldn't go in there and try to sell some radio, so I had to say, you know, I don't know if this is really going to fit wasn't a shining moment for me. But can you imagine making the money that these kids are going to make? Not all of them are going to make that, certainly, but making the money these kids are going to make and still going to college? Probably not as focused in on your uh, Psych 101 course as I was back in the day. Yeah, whatever about Pavlov's dog, whatever. (laughs) Wait a minute. I got to go advertise for this person that's going to give me a buttload of money. Thank you very much. But now getting back to my point, uh, of all these names, I, I'll give you a great example. What's his name? Tyson Helton, who's Clay Helton's little brother who's down at, at Western Kentucky. Jeff Brom came from Western Kentucky. Uh, what everybody is giving me makes a lot of sense. I would want somebody that has had a dynamic or close to dynamic wherever they were offense. And then you can bring somebody in to coach up a defense, find a couple of defensive players, cross your fingers, and maybe you'll get another Karloftis. Maybe. But, man, that is what's going to sell, isn't it? Don't you have to look for somebody that has coached up, has been a part of, I mean, the architect of, not just the head coach of, but before has been the architect of an offense that can put up some numbers and can be dynamic. It's going to be interesting to see how Wisconsin looks in the Big Ten West now with Luke Fickle as the head coach, but they were always that grind it out and then play, you know, play defense, but probably goes past the board now. They probably recalibrate things in Madison to go a little bit of a different direction than what they have been historically. See what they get done in Nebraska with Matt Rule. We were talking to Charles Arbuckle yesterday of Sirius XM about, you know, all these gigs and what the Big Ten is going to look like. We know what it's going to look like on the east side. Now, the east side is always going to be brutal, especially brutal for a team like Indiana. 
but offensive, a dynamic offensive type of coach. I think that's what I might be looking for right now if I were Purdue. And I will say this, Western Kentucky can put some points up on the board. There's no doubt about that. Put some points up on the board. But people are just throwing around names of guys that they like. And again, this is not going to happen. But I, I love watching Washington this past year play offense. It was enjoyable as hell. Now, at times, they couldn't stop anybody defensively, and that's going to be up to the head coach to figure that out. But there is nothing, and I mean nothing wrong with a little bit of offensive, dynamic play at all. Nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Yeah, Jan V, you're right. If it was a year ago, you think Kalen DeBoer to Purdue? Yeah, I mean, if the Washington gig was open, coming off a successful season, year number one at Fresno State, doesn't make a lot of sense right now. Probably didn't even make too much sense then. And I'm not trying to force it into this becoming a conversation, but everybody was throwing around coaches and guys that are a little bit out of the mainstream, but you know, in essentially was a couple of years ago as an offensive coordinator here. If there's anybody I like to to watch and coach up and especially watch a coached up offense, it is probably Kalen DeBoer of Washington. Who's a Matt Campbell of Iowa State's been mentioned. Had some big moments there. That might have been a gig that maybe you should have gotten out of once that success happened. Now, we'll see if anybody comes to West Lafayette and is able to take it take it higher, raise it up. Because there are a lot of folks that believe what Jeff Brom has accomplished at Purdue, it had sealing out. Now, when you say that, do you believe that it has sealing out overall, or is it you know, just hitting that ceiling in terms of Jeff Brom coach teams. I think everything has been good. There's nothing been spectacular. But this past year, I mean, you look at it, no matter the circumstances or the path or how you get there. It's what we talked about last week. Now, even if you're going to take a beating by Michigan, a much better team, the fact that you were there and your fans get to celebrate that together, even in a beating, would be pretty nice. I would take it. I know every IU fan would certainly take it. What they need to do, once they figure out exactly who is all going to be in the Big Ten, you need to do like they do in bingo and then put all the teams and put their team names on balls and then put them inside that steel cage, right, and then kind of grind up wind up that steel cage and then pick them all out and put them in divisions like that. The only real way to do it, the only even Steven way to do it is to do it like you do in bingo or at least old school bingo. I don't know if you still do it that way with the steel cage and the balls or not, but that's how you need to do it. You had enough of the legends and the leaders, uh, the East and the West. I mean, just throw everybody in there now, right? Throw everybody in there and see what you can get. So, Boilermaker fans, if you guys want a phone, we can certainly talk about that. Tom Deanhart of Golden Black Illustrator is going to have a lengthy scroll of all these names, all these possibilities that are being thrown around right now. You know, it's funny. I could be completely wrong. And maybe it's just because of my short conversation walking into the studio with our executive producer, Todd Meyer. 
but is is apparent that it's almost like the Boilermaker fans are. It, I, I hate this, and I, I I'll fashion it as how should I put it? Having your cake and eating it too. I hate that. I do. Absolutely hate saying that. But here's why: because you get to go to the Big Ten title game, you get to view this past season as a success. You're going to the Citrus Bowl. Get a lot of notoriety. You've had a lot of fun along the way. Things had to fall your way. But, you know, for goodness sake, something around here in sports would have to fall the sports team in Indiana's way at some point, doesn't it? Does it have to fall their way? Now, we know the Colts. The Colts, if it fell their way, would probably find a way to screw it up. They'd find a way to give it back. Hey, you know, we don't want this good fortune. Can you take it? Because we got some more crap to go through here. So it was good. It was good that that good fortune fell upon the Boilermakers. But am I wrong about this? Are there some folks out there happy? All right, so you had a successful season. Now maybe you feel that this program has reached its height. And now your head coach is moving on, going back to his alma mater, going back to his town, going back home. And you can also fire up the excitement of a coaching search. I mean, normally when you're talking about a coaching search, it comes after an ultra crappy season. Well, we get that around here. Now we're going to get that a little bit more coming up here in about a month. Normally it comes after just an awful season and everything's negative and this sucks and that sucks and everything sucks, sucks. But for Purdue, you get to go through a coaching search after what was a successful season. That's new. That's different. So I think a lot of you probably feel good about it. Now, it's not uh, – somebody's going to say, well, it's just because as a fan base, you feel as if, you know, your girlfriend broke up with you. I wouldn't even look at it like that. Yeah, your girlfriend's just moving back home. But you saw some really good stuff this past year with your girlfriend. Now you're ready to go out. Now you're back out there. Now you were back out there. You got that freedom to go out there. Again, after a successful season, that doesn't happen that often. Seems like a lot of Boilermaker fans are excited about that prospect. You're able to go back out, get somebody else, have another level of excitement in there, you know, coming off a successful season. Whereas coming up at the end of this Colts season, we're going to be wallowing in the muck once again of where in the world is this thing going? How bad is this? Negative talk, negative talk, negative talk. Which just wears you out. Oh, but wait a minute. You love the negative conversation. Nah, not really. I'm just not built that way. I just can't sit here and say, hey, everything's great, even though it's not great. I should try a show like that one of these days. Just kind of go from that angle where everything's great. You know what? Chris Ballard's doing a fantastic job. Just a great job. I really like what they've done at quarterback. <laughs> that you know, the offensive line is going just like he said. Should I just spend one day doing that? Will that appease those that believe that all I do is want to be negative? Is one day. Yeah, man, offensively. Has this team has this team been as good as what you thought offensively? Oh man. What a potent offense. 
But now the Boilermaker situation is different because you get a nice season. You get an enjoyable season. Even if it did end with a thud in the Big Ten title game, so what? But not only do you get that, but now you get to go out, and for a lot of folks that thought that Jeff Brom has hit that ceiling there, you get to go out and you get to recalibrate with somebody new, a little new and fresh feeling. New socks, new drawers. A lot of you Boilermaker fans are feeling pretty good, and I don't blame you. All right, we can hit that up at 239-1070. Bottom of the hour, Tom Deanhart with the latest on everything going on in West Lafayette. I love this. If you had butt-kissing positive day about Ballard, you would sound just... <laughs> yeah, I'd know. <laughs> you imagine? Hey, you're doing just great. This team has been put together fantastically. All these puzzle pieces, and they fit so flawlessly here. Well done. Well done. Tom Deanhart, bottom of the hour. Uh, JJ is going to join us coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, the seventh and final of this Western Road Swing. What, nearly two weeks? That will come to a conclusion later on tonight at the Target Center in Minneapolis. The Minnesota Timberwolves and the Pacers. That tip time tonight, what, 8 o'clock? 7.30 pregame coverage right here. And then they get back home for four consecutive You look at it, you go two and five on a road trip, and nobody's going to hold a parade for you. Nobody's going to be waiting at the airport for you upon your return. And certainly you're not going to talk about it as being highly successful. And I guess I'm taking in consideration, what if you lose tonight, right? And you, you know, end that seven-gamer at two and five. I'm curious, with all that goes into this, if they were to lose tonight, I think that they were to win tonight, you'd go, oh, man, you'll take that. Three and four, on the, absolutely take that. But if they do lose tonight and they're a two out of seven on the road with this team and what you thought it was going to be, has it been satisfying? Is that fair to say or is it playing down? I think you're allowed I think you're allowed to pat down the expectations a little bit here, aren't you? And be excited about what they do, even though it's not something where you plan on them being top three, top two, the best in the East, or making the postseason. There's a promo that's rolling with me where I I suggest it was talking about Nimhart's game the other night. Actually, the two wins are on the shoulders directly of the rookie Andrew Nimhart. At least to this point. But can you be satisfied if they go two and five? Is it okay? And over the course of that promo, well, you can see what this Pacer team is, is you see what they're putting together. And whereas with the Colts, they consistently preach to you, here's what we're going to do. Here is why you should believe. Here is your hope. And they never show signs of getting even close to those expectations. In fact, you look at this season, and they have done their best Michael Jackson moonwalk, just the opposite direction. But with the Pacers, it's something you can see, and you can see the growth, and you know that they're not nearly done with trying to put this thing together. I'm not suggesting anybody gets a pass 
for a loss, but if you were going to get a pass for a loss or get a pass for a 2-5 and five Western road swing, this would probably be it. Would it not? Is that fair to say? And don't give me the loser's mentality stuff. It's not a loser's mentality because, again, the comparison between that team, that organization, where it is right now, and what we're talking about with the NFL franchise is stratospherically different. But if they end up 2-5, and five, is that satisfaction? Are you satisfied right now? Jeremiah Johnson will talk about that coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. I'm assuming somewhere in the neighborhood of Minneapolis getting set for that matchup with the Timberwolves later on tonight. Bowen's going to be here in the 5 o'clock hour. A variety of things that we shall talk about in a bye week for the Colts. Colts off until they're back at practice on Monday. That was a hell of a game to get a week-long break after. Giving up 54 or whatever. Uh, But we'll talk about that, talk about the Pacers. I mentioned College Hoop coming up later on tonight. The Brom story situation. Whatever else is going on as far as sports might be concerned right now. I was really bummed. Anybody else with me on this? Again, I'm not a deeply rooted soccer fan by any stretch. But, man, it stinks when it wasn't there. I didn't like Wilson Contreras anyway, and I certainly dislike him much more now. From the Cubs to the Cardinals. That's like going from the seat of the toilet into the toilet right there. Congratulations. $87.5 million from the seat of the toilet into the toilet. All right, Cubs fans are mad because they didn't get anything out of it. Yeah, I know. You can make fun of me, the Reds fan. I mean, you got every right to, but... Yeah, what more do I have left to make fun of? I have zero tail left for you to make fun of with this thing. I'm just hoping that the uh, latest bean counter over there and his money ball, Billy Bean stuff is going to get his act together sometime before I'm dead. My teams, that's what I need to do. The teams that I follow, the teams that I follow here are the teams that I allow myself to to actually um, root for, have a you know invested interest in, I think what I need to do is make it a priority for them to win something before it's too late for me. Think we can do that? How many years do you think? Calculate it right. I'm going to be 53 next week. So where are we? <laughs> where are we? The clock is ticking here. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. We're going to have to get something going here a little bit, aren't we? Kind of feels like the 1980s with the football team. Not that bad. It's pretty bad. At least in the 1980s, you expected that. And at least in the 1980s, they didn't say, hey, this is what we're going to do, and this is going to be great, and everything's great. You know, all chips in, championships, division titles, deep into the postseason, hosting playoff games, zilch Ola. They weren't trying to sell you that in the 80s. It was just dudes that weren't having sex until the Colts won. Or guys sitting on top of billboards or Duke Tomato putting together some lyrics to a song, Lord Help Our Colts. That's what it was back then. You were kind of used to it. It was within. It was woven within the fabric of our daily existence. This is just a bunch of bull crap right now. It's different. 
We'll talk about that coming up, too. All right, 239-1070. I got Yacht Rock Review tickets. New Year's Eve is going to be a party over at the Mira Old National Center. Aaron Judge, Yankees, nine years, $36 million. I so want to call him for the rest of his life Arson Judge, though. The John Heyman tweet. How much credibility do you lose when not only did you kind of get it wrong and he had to backpedal, but you call him Arson? I like that name. If I were going to have a kid right now, I might name my kid Arson. <laughs> Arson Judge was awesome. Love that tweet. I love Twitter. Credibility gets flushed down the toilet. Right there with Wilson Contreras going to the Cardinals. At least he, within five minutes, kind of backtracked pretty quickly on that. Yeah. I think it's just a bad look. I assume he probably got one text from somebody he saying probably, judge to San Francisco. And, and trying, to, trying to jump on that quick, trying to yeah. beat Passan and Rosenthal and all those guys. Arson. That's pretty good, though. Would you... Would you live with and embrace that trending tweet nationwide if it also made you look like a horse's rear end? Would you embrace it? Because I think we live in a world now where, especially in social media, you don't really care you look like a horse's rear end. You don't care. Hey, it's out there. Hey, look, look, I'm trending now. So you're trending because you're a jackass. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people like that. I don't think I want to trend as a jackass. I think I do a pretty good job of that in my daily existence. I don't think I want to trend as a jackass. Were you nervous at all when you put out that Peyton Manning neck story years ago that there was maybe oh, yeah. a 1% oh, chance this oh, could yeah. bite you if it was wrong for whatever reason? Yeah, yeah. It was weird. I mean, it was weird. Everybody, I mean, Colts fans were mad. Everybody was mad. And that was a long time ago right there, too. That was so long ago. I don't even think I had Twitter then on my phone. I think I did it from my home computer in the kitchen. Say, hey, honey, you know, <laughs> I'll be right back for dinner. I got to send out this tweet. Yeah. I will spell something wrong, though. Here's part of my issue right now with my phone and Twitter is clearly I've got to go get something done, optically speaking, because my eyesight, my vision's sucking. It is. I don't want reading glasses. Yeah, I need to probably get some new. Uh, I got new hair. I'm. I'm. Want, I've told you this before. By the time I'm sixty, I want to have new everything here. I'm well on the way, so obviously I need to get some new eyeballs. I mean, yeah, no doubt. I need some new other stuff here too. I just need to maintain, so I need a lot of new things here. So if you are involved in something new in which you would like to advertise, just let me know, and we'll go ahead and strap it on my body. (laughs) If you have to sew it in, weld it in, glue it on, I'm all for it. Let's do it. By the time I'm 60, which hopefully, and by that time, the NFL team here gives us a reason not to come on here every day and complain about it. So I'll go ahead and start the clock right here. Quick break, and we'll come back. Kevin Bowen, Jeremiah Johnson, Tom Deanhart, the latest on Jeff Brom, his exodus, and who is going to be next as the football coach in West Lafayette. And is there absolutely a happiness going on, even with the loss of their head coach? 
Yacht Rock Review tickets also coming up for New Year's Eve as well. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. I want savages on the field. I want to lead the league in broken ribs. I want to put people in the hospital legally, no hitting in the head. I want them to cry and be scared to play us. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. JJ coming up at the top of the hour. Got the Pacers there, seventh and final out west in Minneapolis later on tonight. Two wins so far. You go three and four on that bad boy, and everybody's feeling good. We'll talk about that with Jeremiah Johnson, top of the 4 o'clock hour. Bowen's in here in the 5 o'clock hour. Yacht Rock Review tickets. New Year's Eve at the Mural National Center coming at you as well. But on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from Golden Black Illustrated, the insider in West Lafayette and the head coaching search presumably is officially on, probably has been on for a while. Tom Deanhart joins us now. All right, hey, Tommy I find this kind of interesting. Uh, you sent out that that text regarding the the team meeting, and the only thing that got any interest out of it, I should say this, what got the most interest out of it is the usage of accept. Yeah, that was yeah, it. You know, I think we've all had sometimes we type too quick when we're sending out text messages. So, yeah, Purdue. Uh, I went down today, John. You know. Uh, that news broke Monday morning about Satterfield leaving, and then, of course, everybody goes, oh, here yep. we go, here we go. Yep. You know, there was this inevitability. It wasn't there for years. It wasn't if, but it was when. When was Jeff Brom going to go to Louisville? And it really got tiresome, didn't it? It does. Uh, I know yeah. the fan base did, so yes. finally, they, they, get, they get their wish. They can trek back down I-65. I know there's a detour. You can't go right to the city now. They're going to have to take 465 around. But <laughs> you do. Get there. Everybody get does. <laughs> Everybody does. You know, it, it's funny, too. Um, when, when I text, and this is one of the reasons why yesterday when that Andrew Luck story came out, I go, you know what? I'm over it. I want to talk about this anymore. Part of the reason is every time I ever sent out a tweet regarding Andrew Luck, about 50% of the time, for some reason, my phone would always go with Andrew Lick. So it'd be Andrew Lick every time. And then whatever I said about Andrew Luck was completely lost because I just tweeted out yeah. Andrew Lick. So everybody um, focuses on, on, on that. People love, people love a steak. People, I call it the gotcha crowd. They just seem like they get off. Well, I will tell you this. I, I was under the impression that that was Brom type there. So I think a lot of people probably think it was Brom type. So I think you kind of skate away without even having to worry about the usage part of it. So you're all good. But yeah, the, uh, so yeah, you know, here, here, here goes Mike Bobinski, right? Uh, and he, he said, have had a short list of candidates for years, right? He knew this day was coming. No doubt. And I'm sure he's already started to vet people, but I'll tell you what, John, first matter of business for Purdue is getting to this bowl game, because I was talking to some people on staff today and a lot of these coaches are leaving ASAP for Derby City my friend last guy out of the Kozich football complex turn out the lights like what what numbers are we talking about here I think think most of the offensive staff is going now I think it's going to go I think Brian I I reported moments ago Brian Brom is going to stay and be the interim head coach remember he was the interim head coach in 2020 in that season opener when Brom Jeff Brom had COVID 
So Brian's going to be the interim head coach. He's going to stick around. I think a couple defensive staffers, man. I think Ron Inglis is going to go. I think Mark Hagan may stay for the bowl game. So, yeah, again, it's going to be interesting to see what this staff looks like in 24, 48 hours. And uh, who stays? Are they going to have GAs coach this bowl game? And then, John, I even talked about the transfer portal. Are players now going to start jumping? I mean, I haven't even talked about signing date on December 21st. So there's got to be resolution quickly for Purdue as far as finally head coach. Somebody sitting in that big chair, ASAP. Who, who would he like to uh, to maybe hope that they tag along player-wise with him? Well, that would be interesting to see who does follow, right? Uh, I think if you're an offensive skill guy, you're going to at least listen to what Jeff Brom has to say. Uh, if you're a quarterback, Brady Allen, you know, the four-star from Gibson Southern down in your neck of the woods. I mean, we, Louisville's pretty close to his home. Uh, some of the wide receivers. So I think those type of guys would have interest uh, in definitely following Jeff Plum. So that's going to be fascinating. Also, which of the 2023 commitments flip their commitments from Purdue to Louisville? Because like I said, December 21st is the first day kids can start signing their, their, their national letters of intent. So they got a couple of weeks to come all this over and for Purdue to get somebody in their head coaching job as well to try to sell them and keep them. Would, would Mockaby go with him? That's a good question. I know that. I know, I'll, I'll say. I'll say this, John. I know that crew real well, and they're very anxious right now. They want Devin on scholarship, and I, who, who, who's not going to want that, right? right? He's a great kid too, and they're not sure what's going on. He loves Purdue. He doesn't want to leave Purdue, but he, he he doesn't know what's going on. So again, I get back to my point about Babinski needing to get somebody hired pretty quick and you know maybe they'll introduce somebody this time next week if not sooner who knows so tom deanhart with uh, golden black illustrated's on the andy moore automotive group hotline because yeah there's no doubt they want to get him on scholarship but is he more is he more loving of the institution and the football program there or the fact that he was given that particular opportunity from the head coach i guess is what you're looking at here yeah i think it's maybe a little bit of both but i do know he loves purdue he's an engineer always loved Purdue, uh, but he does appreciate the opportunity, obviously, that Jeff Brom gave him, right? Now, how wouldn't you? And Chris Barkley, the running backs coach, who is, I think, going to go to Louisville. He's, he's, he grew up in Louisville, and he's the guy that got Devin to come. So it's going to be a big pull, I would think, especially to say, hey, Devin, we're already going to Louisville. We'll put you on scholarship down here. Give us a decision by Friday. Who knows? Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough decision. And it's the kind of player Purdue would hate to lose, obviously. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Tom Teenhardt of Golden Black Illustrated. Jeff Brown bouncing to Louisville. Second time was the charm in this case. And uh, the search is uh, underway. It was officially underway, I'm sure, already. But certainly underway right now. Tommy D's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I kind of framed this up before you came on as for Boilermaker fans. And you have certainly more of a pulse than I do. But does it seem to you like you come off of a very successful season, a very excitement-laden season, and now you get to go into a coaching search where I think some in the fan base probably felt that the ceiling was hit, and you don't normally get to do it. You don't normally go into a coaching search after a successful season like this. So it kind of seemed to me like a lot of Boilermaker fans were pretty excited about it. I tell you, I was thinking this time – Last week, we were still doing interviews, getting ready for the Big Ten title game. Everything was happy and cheery, right? And not even a week later, he's gone. So, uh, you know what? I'm going to say this. I think maybe this may be a good time for Jeff Rom to have dropped the mic and, and, and left, you know? 
He's done a lot. Look where that program was at before he got there. You remember, the fans remember, the Daryl Hazel Hazel. Sure. Daryl Hazel was a train wreck, right? And he's, he's done a lot of great things. And that's just going to be challenging. Let's not, be, let's not kid ourselves about Aiden O'Connell and some of these players. Look at the schedule, too. Ohio State and Michigan are on it. So I think they were looking to probably take a step back next year. And, again, here's Jeff Brown. He gets a chance to exit stage right and finally do what's going to make his dad happy and the rest of his family happy and come back to, to Louisville where all of them always had houses. So it, it's, just, it's a disappointing way for Purdue's season to end. It, feel like, it feels like the wheels have come off. And uh, it's never as bad as you think, but it, it does appear dire right now. But I'm sure they'll get it all figured out. They, they, again, they just got to get somebody hired. Hey, Tommy D, I kind of buried the lead a little bit here, too, because I do want to get to that. My assumption was that, to me, what I, I would want is I would want to watch or get somebody in that is known to be uh, somewhat to certainly dynamic offensively. And then after that, you can go to figuring out the defense and, and moving down the trail in that fashion. So give me some names and what might – they be looking for as far as the next head coach is concerned and a dynamic offensive mind is at the top of the list yeah you know that's i call it the elevator pitch john yeah you got to be able to tell me in 10 seconds what you are i don't care what it is in your life pretty knows his identity we all know the cradle of quarterbacks you got to throw the football offense right so i think that's your that's your initial template you're looking for in your head coach but i think just as important Look how college sports has changed in the last six years since Jeff Brown was hired in 2017 with the portal, instant eligibility with NIL. It's, it's a totally different ballgame now. So you have to have a coach who's willing to embrace all that madness, figure it out, work with your collective too, and you got to have everybody in that university helping you out too because, again, it's a very competitive environment. So I think you got to have somebody – it's got that energy and juice. It's going to embrace that and know how to use all those tools because there's no more two, three, four, five-year bills. You can flip this watch from one year and succeed. So, again, um, you got to have somebody who's dialed in. I'll tell you what, one of the, one of the favorite things of the players is Jamarcus Shepard, the old receivers coach who's from Fort Wayne. He's been working out at the University of Washington with Kalen DeBoer. Uh-oh. I, I just I mentioned Kalen DeBoer myself. I said if there's anybody's <laughs> offense in college football I want to watch right now, it's Kalen DeBoer. But you're probably a year too late in trying to get in on anything like that, given the fact he's the head coach at Washington now. But that's interesting. Yeah, Jamarcus Shepard would be very – he could be like Purdue's Marcus, Marcus Freeman, a, a younger guy who's never been a head coach but a dynamic, energetic personality. So that, that's one to keep on your radar. So there's some older guys. I think Dave Clawson at Wake Forest, Willie Fritz at Tulane, guys that add elk. And, and I'll tell you what, another older guy, I still am a big fan of Kevin Sumlin from right there in Naptown, Bobuff High School, class of 82, a linebacker at Purdue who's well on his coaching resume, right, at A&M in Houston and Arizona. He loves the Boilermakers and would love an opportunity. So those are some guys I think. Where's Sumlin right uh, now? Tommy D. He's coaching, he's coaching the Houston Gamblers in the USFL. Yeah, I knew that. I didn't know that. that? <laughs> well, he could yeah, bring some of that sweet good. gear up with him, too. That'd be nice. <laughs> I, uh, You know, the, the last time I really talked about Kevin Sumlin, I was out at the 500. This is a true story. Uh, it would be a bit abbreviated, but a true story. It was Kevin Sumlin, uh, Kevin Wilson, and my good friend um, Clayton Anderson, the country music singer. And the night before, they'd been at some really rich guy's place down near Paragon, Indiana, and gotten a little bit loose. 
And according to the story and how they told it to me out at the 500, this is leading up to the 500 on race day. Uh, we are in Pagoda Plaza, and apparently someone had lost his car keys in the lake, and uh, he didn't, <laughs> he couldn't drive, and they had to drive. It was it was a wild story. That was literally the last time I talked too much about Kevin Sumlin, where allegedly he lost his keys the night before the 500 in a lake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, and Kevin Wilson was with him, Kevin. <clears throat> Kevin's a pretty wild guy, too. Of course, he just I think they were wound up. I think they were real, a little wound up the night before the 500, from what I gather. Setting off a little steam, right? Yeah. I'll I, I tell you what, real quick, too. One guy that went on a great great fit at Purdue, but they're not going to be able to get him, is Lance Leipold at Kansas. They obviously ain't him in Lawrence. A great personality. You always think about fit, too, don't you? When you think about a job, you can't have a big personality if you're the Purdue head coach. It's a very understated place. There's not much media. Uh, you're not going to get your ego stroked a lot. But you know what, too, John? There's not much pressure either. And a guy like that would have been just a perfect fit, I think. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what direction Bobinski goes here. Offense, defense, young, old. Uh, he's going to have, I think, a number of good options to look at. Do they look at, because obviously Brom came from Western Kentucky, where Tyson Helton is, the younger brother of, of Clay yeah. Helton. I think he's 20, uh, 31 and 21, 10 games above 500 um, as a coach. Is, is that a resource in which they'd be looking for right now? He's on our hot board, my friend. We yeah. have a hot board on our website, and he is on our hot board. And uh, he checks a lot of boxes that you obviously already know about. So you are an astute fan, yeah. Helton definitely is a guy, a younger guy who runs a dynamic offense as well. So, yeah, that's a guy I think would be very much of interest to Purdue. I, I think I'd want to talk to him. Yeah. So you, you think it would be more somebody a little bit younger and dynamic or somebody older, been there and done that? Or I hate to say recycle because that sounds like a jerk comment, yeah. but I guess more of a recycle type of guy. You know, it's interesting. I, I really don't know. I mean, I remember Lee Corso used to always say that, okay, whatever the coach left, whatever his personality was, old next guy's gonna be young offense next guy's gonna be defense i'm not sure if that's gonna be the case for purdue if you're looking for the opposite of jeff Brown, what's the opposite of jeff Romney? i guess uh, i guess an older or a super young defensive guy but i don't think so i, I still think you got to go offense i still if i really had my druthers i would probably still tilt younger i just think you need a lot of juice at a place like purdue you got to be able to recruit so uh, I tell you what, the more I think about your Marcus Shepard, the more intrigued I get. And I will say this, there's one guy on staff I mentioned earlier, Mark Hagan, Carmel, Indiana, former Hoosier. Yeah. Been approved for years on two different stints. And he's almost a boilermaker just by association at this point. Uh, just a great guy, a heck of a coach who uh, I hope gets at least a look. Um, but, again, I, I just want to give him a shout-out for all the work he does. And he, he, he says a very well-respected coach in person. It's interesting you bring up Shepard because I was talking about Kalen DeBoer. It was an absolute pleasure to watch their offense this year in Washington. I mean, it was. something. They were something. They got Michael Penix, the old IU connection out there with Penix and DeBoer, right? And William Inge is out there, an old IU assistant, too. Tom Allen lost some good good uh, coaching and players there the last couple of years that really buoyed those 19 and 20 teams in Bloomington. I got a friend of mine that's uh, saying he's betting me a beer that it's going to be Brian Brom. I don't know. I mean, Brian's an impressive guy. I will say that. He carries himself like a head coach. He's smart. His personality is a lot different than Jeff's. He's much calmer. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I guess, wouldn't totally close the door on Brian Brown. I think there's a faction of the fans that like him, too. And uh, he's an intriguing guy, I think. Maybe maybe he will get a look. 
And maybe some of it will depend on how the team looks when they play LSU on January 2nd down in Orlando. I wonder if my telling the story of Sumlin Wilson and Clayton Anderson is better than how they would tell it right now. It was a hell of a story at the time. <laughs> I bet you got so many stories. They were we- they were wearing the night before like a badge of honor, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm, tell glad, you. I'm just glad I'm just glad I didn't know you in the 80s. You <laughs> had the dirt on me. It'd be ugly, buddy. It'd be ugly. Let me tell you. I, hey, keep me updated, would you, about what's going on? I know you got your finger on the pulse. And thanks for hopping on here today, as always. And the next time you're on, we'll talk about who they hire, talk about yeah. whether or not there's a mass exodus, talk about the bowl game. We got to work in some painter stuff, too, and the hoop squad. So, and, and, hey, like I said, it may be next week, John. So, anytime, you know, I love uh, coming on with you and I appreciate it, buddy. You got it. Thank you, Tommy D. Uh, uh, bye bye. Tom Deanhart at Golden Black Illustrated on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. All right, we'll lock that up. Get you back. JJ, top of the hour, Bowen, 5 o'clock hour. Let me get right on the clock and come back at 239-1070 with you next. The stream, the app, HD radio, inside the lounge via YouTube live at 93.5 and 107.5. The fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. Just an average guy with exceptional hair. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Tom Dean Hart. Golden Black Illustrated, just a little bit earlier, the Jeff Brom situation. Who's next up in West Lafayette for the Boilermaker football program as the head coach? Kevin Bowen coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. I mentioned, too, the Pacers and the Timberwolves, the seventh and final of this seven-game Western Road Swing coming up later on tonight. 7.30 pregame, 8 o'clock is the tip from the Target Center in Minneapolis. We bring you back with the late, great Prince and the B-side to Let's Go Crazy. This was a dance club anthem back in the day. Erotic City to bring on board from Bally Sports, Indiana. Jeremiah Johnson's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. That the first time you've ever been brought on to a radio show with the song Erotic City? First time ever? I think so. I don't think we have the music rights for that on our pregame television coverage. Oh, we well, Jamie. On TV, Jamie Burns we would have to that. edit that. He would have to edit the hell out of that. There's a lot of f bombage going on in there. A lot of it. <laughs> yeah. We'll just move on there. A lot of it right there. I asked this question a little bit earlier. Um, and I know it almost is like I'm I'm underselling, you know, the value of winning, and I'm not at all. But even if they lose tonight, can you look at this seven gamer and getting two wins out of it as a positive for this group? I think so. You have to think back to our conversations before the season, and uh, you know whether I was talking with you or talking with people at the grocery store or other media members, it was a season where we weren't going to be fixated on the record. So if you went into this season thinking that, you would still have to think the same thing in late November, early December, say you're not going to be as concerned about what the record is on a particular seven-game road trip, especially considering some of the individual development you've seen in these seven games. And five of them that Andrew Nemhart has played, you've just seen him grow 
by leaps and bounds, and you've had two of these memorable moments, the kind of games that you'll remember when all is said and done this season as kind of games that uh, you really learned a lot about youngsters, and that was the whole point of the season to begin with. So I did talk with Tyree Halliburton today. He acknowledged that three and four sounds a lot better than two and five, and I think the team's not satisfied with the two wins. They really want to get the third. But as you said, no matter what happens, I think you'll be okay with it headed home tonight. And evidently no Carl Anthony Towns later on tonight, so we'll see how big of a purpose that serves as far as their chase of trying to get three out of the seven on the road in this seven-game Western Road Swing. Jeremiah Johnson of Valley Sports Indiana is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I do want to get to Andrew Nimhart, and I guess this is what I have in watching this game uh, and the numbers he put up against Golden State, the 31 points, the overall four game. I guess you go back to his days in Gonzaga. In Gonzaga, they play fast, yet he was never sped up. They play fast coming off a defensive glass. They come off uh, of an inbounds, off a make. They play fast. They always play fast. I think this has served a purpose because he never looks sped up. He never looks out of control. He always looks under control, and I think that is also how I watched him play in, what, his two, two-plus, three seasons in Spokane collegially. And a good example of what you're describing is at one point in the second half, I think the Warriors were trying to get Andrew Nemhart out of his game. And I think it was Draymond Green who picked him up as soon as the ball was inbounded and was hounding him. And you could argue maybe fouled him three different times. And he went up the court quickly, but not too fast and not out of control and did not, you know, cause a turnover and then went in and, and created a basket. And so that was a, an example right there to me that I've, I thought I almost held my breath as, as it was happening because I said they're going to either throw a trap at him or they're going to try to knock that ball away, and they probably should call a foul, and none of that happened, and he was able to deal with the pressure and execute. And he's not the same kind of point guard as Tyrese Halliburton. He's going to definitely step on the gas and go as fast as he can at all times. But Andrew Nembhard goes fast enough, and I think he went at the perfect pace for that game against Golden State. And he was able to get into the lane, into the paint, so many times over the last few years, John, we've talked about the Pacers struggling with guys getting inside. Nemhard got in the paint. He can stop and knock it down, or he can throw a lob up. He can do so many different things when he gets inside, and I think he just has a lot of versatility. Maybe tonight if Tyrese Halliburton plays, he's more off ball, but you know after what he did on Monday – if he has the ball on the wing and doesn't necessarily bring the ball up the court, he can still attack and make some plays that can really help you. Uh, JJ's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I would agree, and it was a great back and forth. I mean, he was guarding Steph Curry. He was putting up shots and scoring against Steph Curry. I didn't notice it, and I was curious if you did. Was there any dialogue back and forth between arguably the best player in the NBA and the rookie from Gonzaga? I did not see any like you would see, uh, you know, maybe you've seen it at different times on the road trip, but I, I thought that uh, the only emotion I saw was just Steph Curry, a little bit frustrated with himself. And a few times he just looked and said, how is that going in? How did that guy make that shot? But I did not see any individual talking going on. And I think that's probably a smart move yeah. for Andrew Nemhard, especially under the circumstances. You don't want to awake the beast. And there were a couple of different times to credit the entire Pacers team when it really felt like it was gonna, the momentum was going to give the Warriors the advantage, and they took those one- or two-point leads on two different occasions in the fourth quarter, and then quickly the Pacers had an answer. And so I think they were able to 
just stay focused on the task at hand, not get into any back and forth, even even though it's sometimes easy when you're playing against a guy like Draymond Green. Um, but I, it was just a, a great performance to watch. I'm curious about this, too. Benedict Matherin, another rookie, obviously having a fantastic season. When was the last time you could remember a Pacers player so relentlessly going to the glass as he does? I mean, he is just relentless driving the ball, driving the ball. No matter what had taken place, either positive or negative, the play prior, he still goes at it, driving the ball. When was the last time somebody driving the basketball for the Pacers was that relentless? Just off the top of my head, I think I'll remember before Paul George was injured, I thought there were times, depending upon the matchup, that he would you know, he would attack and get in, in the paint and score, and he got a lot of confidence maybe in that. Did Oladipo you know, go that much? Are we forgetting about Oladipo? I'm sorry to interrupt, by the way. No, you're all right. I, I think that Victor maybe not not as much as Matherin. I mean, I, yeah. I don't think he quite had the strength. I mean, he definitely had some of the explosiveness before the injury, and you would see him get out in transition. But I don't know that he could finish through contact as well as we've already seen in his rookie season from Benedict Matherin. And he is trying – I think he's having to adjust a little bit. He got a lot of calls early, and then there have been some games on the road trip where he's wanted some of the fouls. And so that's one of the things I think he's going to have to continue to adjust to and, and know what is enough contact to get that foul and when he just has to you know, try to finish as much as he can and not try to get, you know, be as worried about getting to the free throw line. But uh, for what he's able to do and how relentless, as you said, he is in his first NBA season, it's a credit to what he did in the developmental stages in Mexico when he went to the NBA Academy and then what he was able to, to learn in his two years at Arizona. Jeremiah Johnson, Valley Sports, Indiana. He's got you covered tonight. 7.30 pregame show. 8 o'clock is that tip. The Pacers look to go 3-4 and four on their seven-game Western Road Swing. What else has stood out to you regarding this trip? And I know that there were certainly in Utah, Sacramento, against the Clippers, Portland as well. There were some clunkers in there, but what else has stood out to you as far as the seven-gamers concerned? You know, I think just their ability to put those games behind them and play on Monday against Golden State. And if you looked at the seven-game trip when you boarded that plane for Los Angeles, you get a there's a lot of attention on the Lakers and the Warriors because of the high-profile players that they have. And, you know, Sacramento, Portland, Utah, right now those teams are playing well, and they also have great environments. And so that was really difficult. And it was a three-game stretch where I think you were you could be – uh, there'd be a chance you'd get your hang your heads a little bit and you go into the Golden State game with so many guys out due to injury. And, and so the, basically the ability to bounce back, I will say that, um, you know, seeing Jalen Smith have a productive road trip was a, was a real positive. And I think that might be a big takeaway as well as with Miles Turner out on Monday night. He played a lot of the five and he shows he's, he's capable. He started most of the season as the four, but he has a lot of versatility and he has some toughness that, you don't necessarily see every single night, but he's learning to do that and bring that more consistently. So that might be my other big takeaway from the road trip is a positive week from, from Jalen Smith and something that you can count on more moving forward. I, Isaiah Jackson, his largest flaw right now, is it his inability to stay out of foul difficulties? That plus, I think he probably just has to be a little more confident in his outside shot. You have to 
you have to be respected outside and, uh, and no one rolls to the basket and, and finishes on lobs as, as well as Isaiah Jackson. So he's got that as part of his game, but you also want to be able to, if he pops or has the ball on the wing, you want to have the defender go out and respect you. So that's probably something that needs to continue to develop is his outside shooting. I, I, I kind of not necessarily fear or worry, but I do think because of the foul situations and, and the style that he plays with, that, that he's maybe a, a sixth or seventh man type of guy that's good to give you 22 to 24 minutes. But yeah. if he plays longer, he's going to get in foul trouble and he's going to have some issues as well. But it was it was positive to see him play well on Monday because he struggled a little bit on this road trip. And, and he made some big plays. And just the confidence back to Nemhard that with about three minutes left, he's driving in the lane, throwing up a lob like – like you would in a pickup game with three minutes left in the fourth quarter at the Chase Center. I thought that was a sign of the confidence, not only that Andrew Nimhart has in, in himself to make plays, but in Isaiah Jackson to, to finish. So he's got to learn to deal with the foul troubles. That happens for a young player. I think you'll see him continue to get better. But I would like to see, you know, over time, progress a little bit with the outside shot. All right, J.J., later on tonight, you mentioned Tyrese Halliburton. He's been out the past two. Miles missed the last game as well. What do these guys look like in preparation for tonight? Anybody good to go? Well, it's a tough game to prepare for because there are currently six players listed on the injury report as questionable, but it uh, did look like they went through most of shoot-around. That doesn't necessarily guarantee that we will they will play, and the only one that I did talk to was Tyrese Halliburton, and he said – but he definitely was feeling better after missing the last two games and they'll make a decision closer to game time. So if he doesn't play tonight, it'll be sooner rather than later that he does return. And they did have more of a full practice court for shoot around than they had in the last couple of days. So we'll have to wait and see. I definitely think the availability list will be better than it was against Golden State. But if anyone is out, you do know from what you got, that experience you got against Golden State, you've got some guys that are ready. The one late add was Jalen Smith. He was not on the injury report last night, but was added late this morning. So we'll have to see what the front court looks like tonight with he and, and Miles Turner. JJ, what was Miles' situation? Uh, it was a hamstring, and I'm still not sure exactly when that happened. And I don't know that even Rick Carlisle, when asked, had a specific answer. Uh, but he was out for that game Monday after playing Sunday in Portland with a hamstring they um they glass casing him at all because obviously there's going to have to be some sort of decision made either way i mean anything that could be nagging anything that might be considering playing through not playing through is he in a glass case or have they been pretty pretty open about hey if he's good to go he's good to go here yeah i mean the first game that he was out with this recent ailment was Monday, and so there's not been any specific questions along those lines, too. Rick Carlisle, you could make some assumptions, but I'd have no way to say yay or nay for that. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens. I think I went into this whole season saying I'll be prepared for anything for Miles Turner, and after that first week when he's sprained his ankle, he's played the best basketball of his career, and he's been the kind of leader that you like, and even when he wasn't playing on Monday, was very vocal in the huddles. But Facts are facts and numbers are numbers, and what you bring up is is not something that we're not aware of. So I don't really know, to answer your question, You know w- what role that plays into things. I would assume that if he's healthy, he'll play. 
and we'll see if he plays tonight. I wonder if you noticed this, especially going back to last year. You wouldn't have much knowledge the year prior, but he, the end of things for him in Dallas, he, he didn't seem like he was having certainly a great time coaching up that team. A year ago, he didn't look like he was that enthusiastic about coaching up that team, but it seems like this squad is a lot different and certainly more enjoyable to coach up from Rick Carlisle. Is that something you've noticed? I have. I mean, I it's been a joy to, to watch him work in practice, and I think the one thing also that's really helped not just last year but into this year is how the coaching staff really works together. Rick Carlisle really trusts the people that are under him. He is giving them a lot of authority, a lot of responsibility, and they all do a little bit different things. They have different tasks, but Lloyd Pierce, Ronald Nord, Mike Weiner, Jenny Busick, and you throw in Calvert Chaney and the developmental crew and, and even the training staff. I, I think they're really having a lot of fun working together, and it helped that they were all together last season as well. And the other person that I'll say makes everything better, and I was asked a similar question on a Sirius XM NBA radio to start the road trip, and they wanted to know about Rick Carlisle and how he was getting along with his team. And I said that, you know, Tyrese Halliburton has a big factor in the has is a big part of the fun factor that you mentioned. And I think that makes everything go well, because if he's your point guard and he's your team leader, he's probably going to be the player that the head coach is talking to most. And it just seems like right now uh, the relationship could not be better between Halliburton and Rick Carlisle. And if that relationship is good and you're having fun and you're winning more than you're losing, uh, that can energize the coach. And so maybe a change of scenery was good. Rick is back in Indiana where he you know, knows so many people with the franchise and has so much respect for the franchise. So it just seems to be um, an energizing type of situation for Rick Carlisle. Yeah, that's, that's the way that it looks. Uh, certainly if you want to compare it pacer-wise to, to what they went through um, last year. And the other aspect that sticks out, and I mentioned this, and this was after Nemhard made that game-winning three uh, in L.A. Uh, back a week ago Monday in the second game of that Western Road Swing you guys are on right now, it reminded me of that and one situation with Corey Joseph. And I, I forget what year this was, but it was an Oladipo season, and everybody came off the bench when he was knocked down. He was an and one, and they kind of lifted him up, and he had a big smile on his face. And that was kind of the signature moment of that team. And really, if you want to look at it, the signature moment of any Pacers team successful and enjoyable that we have seen in a while are are those two teams and the personalities and the get along comparable i think you're spot on i've I've tried to mention that while not wanting to put you know too high of expectations on that on this group because that was the 2017-18 season and in my time which is approaching 10 years now i mean that was probably the most fun i have had with any group in the last decade because of not only how you know well they got along off the court, but how well they played on the court and the moments like you saw from that Corey Joseph moment, which was really just one of many. It was the one everyone remembers. Right. The, the poster was made out of it, and it was you know kind of the, the headline grabber. But they did that all season long, and one of the reasons was they had the right mix of young up-and-coming players with established veterans, and you can't – you can't underestimate the impact of guys like Corey Joseph and Darren Collison and Thaddeus Young on that group, but then you had an ascending Victor Oladipo with DeMontis Sabonis. And there are not quite the same you know, mix on this team. There's not quite the same mix. However, you do have some of those veterans. And a guy like Buddy Heald has been a lot more of a positive influence than I think anyone thought he would be and maybe the reputation that he had in Sacramento. A guy like James Johnson is doing exactly what he needs for his role 
on this team. TJ McConnell does have some similarities, even though he's so unique as a veteran. And Miles is, is serving the role as well. So, so far, I, I am making some of those loose comparisons. We'll see how this continues to progress. But the 27-18-18 season, special place in my heart. We'll see how this one ends up. But it even goes back to me, John, and I even tweeted after the game against the Lakers as well. When, when no one expects anything of you and you have success, it's that much more enjoyable. And that 2017-18 season, if you'll remember, the league pass rankings, we always uh, talked about it. Zach Lowe said they were 30th out of 30. Like, who would want to watch the Pacers? And by the end of the season, everyone wanted to watch the Pacers. And that's what we're hoping um, can, can happen with this group. And people are starting to take notice and – um, so we'll see. We'll see if the comparisons can continue. But I think you're on the right track. Yeah, that's that's what I I thought of with without question a team that gets along, a team that enjoys one another, and you know whether you're not you're 33 or you know you're Andrew Nemhart, the rookie second round selection who's having a fantastic start. It doesn't seem to matter. They all seem to kind of enjoy the success of one another, and I don't think that's always been the case. Before I let you go, I'm curious, Sacramento. And how they felt in the return of Buddy Heald. What did that stem from? Do you know? You know, it's weird because he, you know, led the franchise in three-pointers, was there for so long, and it did seem to me like initially he was given some of the blame of the playoff drought not coming to an end. And I think also when he was taken out of the starting lineup, maybe he expressed some frustration and maybe just wasn't as, as fun to be around in Sacramento as he has seemed to be with the Pacers. Maybe the losing got to him a little bit. So I did not have anyone specifically say that, you know, Buddy was grumpy or they didn't enjoy being around him. But I just got that feeling that the relationship soured. He felt, you know, his role maybe wasn't as good as it was. And maybe some things were said. But it was it was odd how much he was booed when he got the ball in Sacramento. And Sometimes that'll happen when a player moves on, but it's not like he chose to move on. He was traded, so he didn't necessarily – it wasn't his own doing to be out of Sacramento. Maybe he – I didn't see all the quotes once he was traded, but Tyrese Halliburton talked about how much he wanted to stay in Sacramento, and I think Buddy Heal maybe let it known that he was just fine (laughs) moving on. So maybe that was a little bit of it, but I think it was one of those things where over time the honeymoon had ended and and he did not fulfill – what they wanted from a team perspective and his shooting, maybe it went down just a little bit, but it just seemed like that the two sides were happy to, uh, to move on from each other. As we see that sometimes happens in life. Now there was a straight difference too, because there were just loud boos for buddy healed and there were cheers for Tyrese Halliburton. And my theory was that really, if you're a Sacramento fan, you didn't want to see Halliburton get traded. They weren't happy about that, so they were more angry with the organization about that, but they were more angry with Buddy Heald because of the lack of, I'm guessing, success over the years in which he was there as to why he got the boost. That was my theory. Yeah, it did seem like he got a lot of the blame for them not making the playoffs and not achieving the success that they thought they would they would have when they acquired him. and They had expectations. He was going to be Steph Curry. Remember, the owner yeah. thought he was the next Steph Curry and when he didn't live up to those expectations which is pretty much impossible for anyone to live up to I suppose he was viewed as you know underachieving so that was odd we'll see what happens uh next Monday you know who might be back at Cambridge Fieldhouse for the first time I wonder what that reaction will be man that's uh, people are gonna be glad you guys are back no doubt about that right. seems well, like it's it's been forever because it has I guess yeah, well, Pacers home Friday and Saturday, but then I was mentioning on Monday with the Miami Heat, Victor Oladipo, 
returned for the first time all season, and he's yet to play in Indianapolis. So I wonder what that'll be like on Monday. Oh, yeah. That should be interesting. Yeah. Probably so we'll booze. forward to when we return finally home after this seven-game road trip later tonight. Mm. Was it uh, – are, are you are you cool with coming back now? It was probably great to be back. I mean, officially on the road, this is how you officially get back on the road is when you go out for an extended period of time out west on a road trip. Is it somewhere now you're kind of over it and ready to get back home at this point? Well, I think everybody's probably ready to sleep in their own beds, but when we went from – San Francisco to Minnesota and the snow and the wind and the chills, it, it made us realize it wasn't so bad being out West, but I definitely think everybody's ready to be back home. And to your, your original question though, being on the road, doing this job is the way you, know, you want to, it's the yes. ideal way and yeah. it's the best way to tell the stories and to cover the team and, and to have really a couple of games last year, the Pacers won that game at golden state, the Kiefer Sykes game in overtime, but we were, you know, not even broadcasting. It was a nationally televised game and we were on our couches. And so to be able to broadcast the game and be there and interview Andrew, you know, at midcourt when the game ended, that's the way it's supposed to be. And it's definitely, definitely been a good road trip from that perspective. All right, it's 7.30 tonight. It's the pregame show. 8 o'clock is the tip. We'll find out a little bit more about Halliburton, about Turner, and those that uh, showed up as questionable on the injury report a little bit earlier today. It's Jeremiah Johnson of Valley Sports Indiana with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Always a pleasure. Safe travels back to Indy. We'll see you soon. Thanks for having me on. Take care. JJ, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. Nate Thomas hit me up with this. Can we talk about the biggest issue facing the Pacers? It's not the offense, but the defense. The defense that needs significant work. The Pacers need players who can stay in front of their man and not just rely upon Turner to stop them. The Pacers need better defensive efforts to make the playoffs. That I the, This could be a guess here. Like you've seen a similar situation, Nate, in the past with Pacers teams, and I think we kind of drew the conclusion that they were just incapable. Like Malcolm Brogdon couldn't stay in front of you. I think these guys are capable. They're just not able to do it at any consistent clip right now. I would put that up with being an offensive player and scoring and like that may come easier to this group than being able to what is absolutely necessary, Nate, and you're incredibly accurate, being able to D up and stay in front of your man on the perimeter. That's something we'll have to watch and evaluate upon the growth. Clearly with this team, the offense has evolved much quicker than that. But it is essential, no doubt about that. Quick break, and we'll come back. Bowen coming up at the top of the hour. Yacht Rock Review tickets, New Year's Eve at the Mirah Old National Center for Yacht Rock Review. When you hear me play a Yacht Rock song as a reentry, that's your cue to be caller number nine, and uh, caller number nine will be a winner. The latest regarding Jeff Brom, the new head coaching search up at West Lafayette. For the football team. Who might it be? Who should it be, Boilermaker fans? Your calls on that. And again, I'll leave it up here with Patrick's comment a little bit earlier. Were were you more do you think that this Colts team is more about the first three quarters on Sunday night in Dallas or the fourth quarter? Sunday night in Dallas. That's a Patrick question that I wanted to be fair about to ask you. 239-1070. That and more. Back with you next. 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. Hey, you going to stare all day or are you going to buy something? Uh, I'm going to stare all day. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Uh, Tom Dean Hart, Jeremiah Johnson, podcast 107.5thefan.com. Sorry about that. The microphone kind of moved around a little bit right there. Inside the Lounge via YouTube Live where this is from Kai Actual, which I think um, I think it equates to dumbass. Uh, sorry, JMV, you're clueless about the Pacers' defense. They're number 10 in defensive turnovers and number 2 in block shots. Well, no, you're the one that's clueless because what Nate asked me is how and why and when are they going to get better on perimeter defense so as you don't have Miles Turner to have to take on such a burden and also considering that you probably won't have Miles Turner after this year. They absolutely have to be better on the perimeter. Now, it's okay if you just read a box score every day, just join the crowd. I'm not going to stay up and watch. I'm going to read a box score. That's a box score reader right there. Let me read the box score. Let me see what those extra stats say. But that is absolutely something that needs improvement. It only take you a second to watch. I mean, just stay up. You don't have to stay up until midnight or anything. Just stay up for a minute and watch it. Just for a minute. That's all you got to do. But no, Nate's right. I'm just assuming with a growing team that the offense is in front of the defense, especially on the perimeter. But at some point, it's going to have to improve because we're all assuming at some point, 33 is not going to be that protection. And then everybody's going to be crying. Every anonymous tool out there is going to be crying. I won't be crying about it. But they won't be sending me crap anymore. I guarantee you that. Because that's what cowards do. It's going to fade, fade away. But no, that is, and Nate is right about it, regardless of number two in blocks or number whatever and defensive turnovers, you have to be better staying in front of your man on the perimeter. And I'm not suggesting it's easy. I mean, you watch the NBA. There are so many incredible perimeter and wing talents out there. But a wing defender is absolutely necessary whether somebody on this squad right now is going to evolve into that or that's a direction they're going to have to go to add to this team further down the road, that has to happen. Just stay up and watch just for a quarter. And just don't eyeball the box score or look it up on your phone the next morning while you're on the crapper. Then you'll understand. From Jason, JMV, the first three quarters show the defense is close. No Leonard or more. That game still contended, but the O-line quarterback, coach, OC, don't exist. See, the problem is 
You can be close defensively, but if you're this far away offensively, then you're not close. Correct? JMV, this is from Bill. Close? The Colts are close? Three quarters of football, again. It was tied. It was great. But you give away 33 in the fourth quarter, and you can't tell me that you're close. Because you're not. And by the way, the 33 that you gave up, in large part, it was due to the offense turning the football over. But it's not like the defense giving up that 33 covered themselves in any sort of glory either. Jamie, that person failed to mention the Pacers are also 24th out of 30 in points per game allowed on defense. And the box score reader, Jared G, right there. That's what you got. That's why you listen right here, because you know I'm going to stay up until 3 a.m. looking for movies that have nudity. So I'll be right there. Especially when they're out west. I'm going to be sad that there's no more Pacific time zone games for them this year. So I can't get like a 3 in the morning call or text from Chris Denera anymore. <laughs> I'm going to miss that. No more Pacific. Because Phoenix not Phoenix Mountain Time or is that Pacific Time? Is it? So they got one more then. Phoenix. Uh, everybody else is taken care of. Skivings writes this. No one has said the Colts started their bye when the fourth quarter started on Monday. Yeah, because sadly, I think you just come to expect that level of foobar with this team, and that's not good either. The one thing that I noticed after Sunday night with this Colts team is it's not like you took great offense to it. There wasn't a lot of shaking the fist, being angry. It was, ah, that makes sense. That's a bad sign for your franchise when your fans deem something as awful as that in the fourth quarter makes sense to you. When you justify that in your own mind about where this team is, that's not a good sign. Uh, Andrew says, how about the Beach Girls or Hots? Um, Andrew, unfortunately, I don't see those on very more. There's no more Skinamax. Thus, there's no more Emmanuel series. Um, there's no more Lady Chatterleys. Uh, definitely no Hots, no Beach Girls, no the Swinging Cheerleaders, and no Foul Play. It's all unfortunate. It really is. The 12-year-old in me feels really bad about that. (laughs) Not like you have to go searching for it anymore, but the 12-year-old in me feels really good. I should say really bad about the fact that that's no longer an option to search for. Corey Kenny writes this. So, JMV, I was 24 when the Colts won the Super Bowl. I'm 40 now. The clock is definitely ticking. I'm going to turn 53 next week. I think at any time in the not-so-distant future, am I going to be able to talk nice, talk consistently positive about this Colts team? Because it does wear you out. That's pretty funny. Brett writes this, good fortune has come the way of the Pacers fans with Matherin and Nimhard looking like absolute studs. 
It's a good fortune. Steve says, did you ever go to Roots? All right, hold on a second. Is that Roots is in Roots, the department store in Terre Haute at the Honey Creek Mall? Absolutely. I think Roots transitioned into, was it LS Airs over there, I think? And now I think the Honey Creek Mall is basically a uh, a big yard sale. That's too bad. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day, Roots, absolutely, in the Honey Creek Mall. 239-1070. Todd, join the show. How are you? Hey, John. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon to you, Todd. I'm bad up here at 116th and Olio, kind of your second home, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I'm Mr. Fisher's. I, I need to get take up a residence, I think, somewhere up there. I'm up there a lot. And a shout-out, by the way, to the Ale Emporium up near Geist in Fishers. What an outstanding join. And again, ask for the Todd Anaki wings, not just the Hermanaki wings, but the Todd Anaki wings. When Todd, the bartender, is tending bar on that night, go Todd Anaki wings. Thank me later. I think uh, my buddy and, and the guy, even know, Jody Conrad kind of tipped us off on that last week. So. Yes, yeah. no doubt. The Todd, yeah. and, yes, he did. And you know what? And then Todd behind the bar said yeah, they did it for, it was Awesome. I think what it is is Hermanaki wings with more spice to it. Oh, it, yeah, they're, they're, they're fabulous. I live in McCordsville, but uh, it's about a mile down the road. So It is yeah, money. I'm, it really yeah, is I'm, money. I'm a regular. Hey, uh, first, I was going to also uh, appreciate a couple weeks ago when I called in, uh, um, and I was basically discussing what I thought the, the Constitution of the Colts' current roster was and some bad contracts, and, you know, this guy, Sean, followed me up. And uh, was was basically uh, jumping on you for not pushing back on me, and you said no. <laughs> you thought I was right on all points. You probably remember the sequence of calls. Oh, I do. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. Sean got a yeah because I because I agree with something I'm supposed to say. You suck, and I agree. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So you know, it's funny on, on the, and uh, so the Colts. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll talk quarterback real quick and, and the coach as well. But you know. I mean, if we would have started the season hypothetically with Geno Smith as our starting quarterback, everybody would have probably been discouraged, I'm guessing, by that by, by that arrangement. And it's actually seemed to work out well for Seattle. The reason I'm saying that is, why not give Nick Foles a shot? I mean, I, I, I see no downsides in seeing what Foles could do um, for three or four games. Uh, just your no, I, I, I agree. I mentioned that last week. I mean, it doesn't matter at this point in time. And I know a lot of people put stock into what could be future financial loss if Matt Ryan were to get injured and how costly that could be. I'm not even worried about that as much as it just doesn't matter to me anymore. And why not? Why not Nick Foles? You know, I've seen Ellinger, C. Foles, whatever. But it just seems like we're at a point right now where all you're going to do, I mean, you're completely wearing out Matt Ryan, and in turn, he's completely wearing us out watching him. So I'm done yeah. with it, and I think we all should be over it, and I'd be fine if they made a move. It wouldn't matter, but I'd be fine if they made that move. When it comes to a coach, and let's just pretend that Jeff Saturday's not our coach right now, I don't know. I mean, there's only 32 jobs, right? I get it. But – I don't know what kind of with our with our present quarterback situation, payroll, roster, lock-in contracts all over the place. 
by the way, I'll, I'm going to throw Mo, Mo Alley Cox in with a few of the other contracts. I'm not real thrilled about, but that's either here or there. What kind of you know what kind of coaching destination is this actually? I mean, I like there's no way a guy like Sean Payton no. is down here. No, you know, I mean, I mean, but but there are only 32 jobs, and you know, would a Leslie Frazier come here? Yeah, I, I think he would probably. I think he would probably kick the tires a little bit, but I'm just curious in your thoughts on that as well, because I don't see us as being a desired job by any means. No, I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. And then I don't think that what has transpired over the course of the season and having some some things going on with the owner kind of stepping in and adding to the situation as well. And, you know, how the general manager feels as a part of this equation right now. I, there's a hell of a lot more negative there than there is positive about taking a job here, no matter what you're looking at. No question. Todd, I got to yeah. run here. Anything else? Got to go. Yeah, me, 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 Kyle, and the Maulers are locked into the playoffs. So oh, he had to remind over. me of that today. I'm on a two-game <laughs> losing streak. Uh, aloha, buddy. Hey, Todd, appreciate it. I thought I got lucky last week because I changed quarterbacks. I had two, uh, then I put in Lamar Jackson, and he lasted about a series and was done. So that screwed me. I screwed myself a great deal, I think. So I need, what do I need to happen to be in the postseason? I thought everybody got in the postseason, but I guess we don't. I guess I'm in kind of the Gus Macker toilet bowl with a bunch of others. What is my record right now? I'm over 500, right? Oh, yeah. You're, man, what are you? Why am I not in the postseason? I mean, Colts fans around here would cherish me if this team was over 500. Postseason in ESPN Fantasy is only for the top four teams for some reason. That's a bunch of crapola right there. So you need a win, the guy in front of you to lose, and you just score about 35 more points than? I got to throw the kitchen sink at the game this weekend, which first means I got to remember and put the lineup in. Lamar's not playing, so you got to hope Tua. Well, Tua was game. dinged up, so I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. Baker Mayfield, am I going to have to go? Is he going to play? Oh. He's not going to play in three days. I'm just joking, by the way, but he's not going to play in three days, is he? I, I don't think they're ruining him, him out. No. No, I think he there's some expectation that he may play. It's ridiculous. Hey, Tim, jump on here really quick before we hit a break. What's up? All right, just real quick. I wasn't a big Miles Turner fan, although I will admit that I think he's good for this team. Um, my question is, going farther, are they? Do you think are they trying to sign him, or is it just they're waiting to get rid of him? Because I, I, I think that they, my my thought is they're waiting waiting to trade him. That's my thought. Gotcha. Like it could be wrong. Maybe maybe they completely have changed with the way that he has played and fit in with this group. But until I hear otherwise, I think that what they're ultimately going to do is trade him. So we'll see. It just seems like when you watch this team that if you watched last year and this year, it seems like Miles is either having more fun or he's trying to get a new contract and playing better. But it just seems like the team fits well with him. Yeah, one one big and you have a, a willing and elite level passer that's able to get you to the basketball in those situations more than anybody ever has over the course of his career here. That's That, to me, Halliburton and his connection with Miles and better play, that's what is the biggest deal here for Miles and this season so far, is that. 
All right. Thank you. Tim, thank you for the call. Quick break, and we'll come back. Kevin Bowen, top of the hour. Yacht Rock Review tickets coming up as well. When Bart Diggler drops in a Shannon Tweed reference, it's probably something I need to read as well. 93.5-1075, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. And you can tell Rolling Stone magazine that my last words were, I'm on drugs. <laughs> 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. And welcome back. Tom Deanhart, Jeremiah Johnson podcast so far. 107.5. TheFan.com. Yacht Rock review tickets coming up. That is not a Yacht Rock song, by the way. But your chance to win New Year's Eve on what is going to be a fantastic party at the Emira Old National Center. That is coming up a little bit later on when you hear a Yacht Rock re-entry song number nine. Going to be a winner. Meantime, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline right now. Morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. here on The Fan. Also, 1075thefan.com with all of those articles, podcasts, and as the 66-year-old Larry Bird celebrating a birthday today once famously said, stuff I get. It's Kevin Bowen, Kevin and Query, the morning show, joining us now. Stuff I get. I like shooting, passing, dribbling, stuff I get. In southern Indiana, that's stuff like that, all one word. Stuff I get. Did you know? Happy birthday. Happy birthday to Larry Bird. Larry Bird, 66. Did you know that the word stuff like that in southern Indiana is stuff I get as one word? Throw it all together. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, it's like cold is code in southern Indiana. Did you know that? I know colts are coats. Yeah. Coats, C-O-A. T-E-S, if you want to get technical to spell in there. When you're um, when you're trying to get somewhere other, quickly, when you're trying to get there somewhere quickly, you are going to be there directly. <laughs> and also, when you may want to take a nap on the couch, you will lie down on the Davenport. What? Yeah, the Davenport. Boy, I've not heard that one. Yeah. Southern Indiana right there. there You were down there for a minute at IU. Would you stay on the north side of IU or what? I stayed in the – I was Briscoe Gucker my freshman year. I was in the Villas my sophomore year. Probably a miracle I made it out of the Villas, to be honest. And then uh, – I hope you you stayed in the apartment that I crapped up a lot down there too. Which one did you stay in? Oh, man. Let me tell you this. Right corner. It was perfect. No cops ever came back there. Oh, man, let me tell you this. I crapped up a couple of different ones down there, a couple of different summers. I hope you didn't stay in that one. I hope um, they, I, I hope they pulled the carpeting before you moved in. I, I was going to say, part of me would like to think <laughs> they had a bit of an overhaul, but knowing how the villas operated, whatever year you did that, from yes. my 2009 stay there, it probably wasn't changed too much. Yeah, yeah. They probably just... Uh, Got a uh, rug doctor steaming mad at dirt out there and pulled some of that stuff up. But it wasn't going to work with I laid down on a carpet, brother. So let me tell you, it's problematic. Uh, thank you for the, uh, <laughs> for the text to my uh, 
co-host this morning. <laughs> did you know? You, did he tell you that? You, I sent him a text this morning at five right 5.30 in the morning. I got up at 5.30 and I sent him a text. I said, hey, are you up? <laughs> Nothing like, uh, let's wake up Laney, Blake, and Jake. Jake, I know. I feel like the uh, big-time dad right there. So he was in on time. He said he was up. I don't think he actually got up until 6. I think I was up before Jake was. We had, I think, a listener, Matthew from Maine, actually give him a call to make sure that he was <laughs> he was up. So little did he know he was, you know, working with the hotel front desk that, you know, he could just call uh, call the night before and make sure he got a little wake-up call. Hey, before we get started on Jeff Brom, who's next to Purdue and the Pacers and the Colts and more, um, do you are you guys moved in studio when uh, Dykton rolls my naturally nude pajama pajama gram commercials? Are you moved by that? Ah, uh, boy, yeah, that, that that might be one way to describe it. Sure. Yeah. Does yeah. it strike a chord with you guys? Does it sound sexy? I try really hard to sound sexy. It's usually one of the ones that you know, stirs up a lot of morning conversation from listeners. So you seem to be resonating yeah. on that front. So, I mean, the client's got to be thrilled with that. Yeah, I don't. I think it'd be tough to find somebody um, the level of me that just shouts naturally nude pajamas when I'm talking about it right there. You know? Yeah, I mean, I certainly haven't thought about naturally nude yeah. pajamas very often, um, but. You know, when you say that out loud, I certainly think of JMV. Got to spice up that existence sometimes right there in this holiday season. Right, hey. Pajamagram.com. Right? Get a free naturally nude nighty if you order right now, too. Hey, tell me. Tell me you should not be looking into that. What a great holiday yeah. gift-giving idea. You're on top of it, per usual. Oh, man. All about it. Speaking of on top of it, Jeff Brom to Louisville. Who do you think is going to be next? I, I Here's what I said, and I know he's not going to go there. And then Tom Deanhart brought up a, an assistant coach uh, under Kalen DeBoer in Washington. I think somebody with a dynamic offensive mind, um, not like mine, but like offensive on the football field, that's where they should be going with this. Is a guy like um, – uh, Tyson Helton, for example, at Western Kentucky, going back to where they got Jeff Brom in the first place, would that be the type of guy maybe you're looking for in West Lafayette moving forward here? Yeah, I mean, he would seem to be kind of the cookie-cutter mid-major. You know, uh, you know, Brom obviously came from there. All of those things would, would check that box. Uh, I, I guess I'll start here. I totally agree with you on the dynamic offensive mind. Purdue's created a brand that I think a lot of people, certainly as the cradle quarterbacks, are just – a, you know, more often than not, a really good offensive product. And, you know, even when your team isn't necessarily winning nine or ten games on an annual basis, you know, as long as offensively you continue to be, you know, the, the, the type of output that they've been for the better part of the last couple of decades, I think that's extremely important in just maintaining relevance, maintaining entertainment level with your fan base, all those things. So I would side more with the offensive coach. Um, the name that, you know, I'd be interested in, would be Dave Clawson from Wake Forest. Um, you know, I, I think in a way, Wake Forest and the ACC and Purdue and the Big Ten have some similarities. Um, Wake Forest is an extremely offensive-minded football team. I mean, for any of you know anybody that's watched them in the last couple of years, uh, they play with quick tempo and they play a pretty unique brand of offense. And it's not like Wake Forest is littered with gobs and gobs of resources or NIL money or those sorts of things. And you know, while Clawson seems to have a good thing going there at Wake, 
if the appeal for some of these coaches is to get into the Big Ten or the SEC because they feel like it's an arms race, that's where I think Purdue has got to try and position themselves within this coaching cycle because, you know, in a way, that might be their biggest drawing point right now. Obviously, Nebraska and Wisconsin, their brand are on a different level than Purdue, but, you know, the the fact that they got Matt Rule and Luke Fickle, you know, I, I was pretty impressed by both of those hires. You know, does any of this Big Ten realignment and the growth of that conference have anything to do with it? You've you got to think there's a little bit of that. So, Clausen is a, is a name. Um, I'm curious, like, what's the future for Dan Mullen? Uh, you know, I, I know he's got, you know, primarily SEC ties, but, I mean, he's a name. And offensively, had great success in Mississippi State and Florida. And the other name that I'll, I'll throw out there, John, and I know in this market, he's pretty much, like, at least I feel like he's kind of the butt of a lot of jokes. But we're talking about a guy with a resume here that was an NFL head coach for six full seasons, made the playoffs four times, won a pair of playoff games, and then he's been Nick Saban's offensive coordinator for the last two years. If that dude's name was John Smith, that resume would be one of the best of any sort of candidate out there. But the name's Bill O'Brien, and I think everybody just looks at that and says, no way. Bill O'Brien had a lot of success at Penn State in an awful situation. Would that be a name that Purdue should go out and pursue? So new and intriguing or old and veteran? I guess that's a point to make, too, with this. Like, a lot of people are saying Brock's back. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you know, the, uh, the relation and the connection, right? I, I, yeah, Tiller, I mean, Tiller, DC. yeah, so I, um, yeah, I just, I, I just, I, I just think veteran? something, something offensively and, and something moving to a, a younger type of, of generational coach. And I, some people tell me not to leave Brian Brom out of the equation too, I guess. Yeah, I have read a little bit about that and that, you know, Brian might want to get away from his dad in the sense of be a play caller and those sorts of things and, and kind of run the show there. And he's the interim for the bowl game, right? Yes. He may yeah. be uh, one of the few left on board by the time the mass exodus occurs here. Right. I guess the, the, the debate I have about young versus old, like Tyson Helton, for example, does he just view Purdue as a stepping stone and – going up the ladder, whereas if you went a little bit older, would they view Purdue as not necessarily destination, but more of they would find a level of contentment there to kind of ride it out for a little bit longer. Don't you think that that's all they're all going to? I mean, I'm not suggesting Purdue's a stepping stone school, but I think most anybody, if you have success there and you get offered uh, another job that is perceived to be at a higher level, they're going to bail too. Yeah, it's probably wishful thinking on my part that if someone would view it in a light of, hey, I'm going to, you know, in three years and, you know, we've whatever, won nine games in a couple of those seasons, and now we're getting calls from elsewhere. Yes, the older coach might be a little bit more inclined to stay, but, you know, to your point, you know, any coach is probably going to run at that. But I am very curious just to see what the candidate list looks like because, again, it is such a – different job from when Brian Brom or Jeff Brom interviewed uh, back after the Daryl Hazel era and to go from Danny Hope and Daryl Hazel to where you're at right now uh, it's on totally totally different ground uh, which is a credit certainly to Jeff Brom 
And, I mean, if Purdue wins their bowl game, John, that'll be back-to-back nine-win seasons. I think Tiller did that in his first two years, and that's like it if you look at, you know, Purdue history. I mean, you got to go way back, obviously, before you see that. Um, so it's pretty darn impressive what Jeff did these last couple of seasons. Uh, and we'll see how attractive that job is for Mike Mavinsky and company. This is interesting. Tom Deanhart was on earlier and had mentioned Jamarcus Shepard, kid out of, before I say kid, uh, man, out of Fort Wayne that was in the Boilermaker program that is the uh, passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach at Washington. And I, I got to talking a little bit about, you know, if it were a year ago and, and Kalen DeBoer was coming out of Fresno State, yeah, probably not now when he's in Washington, but I just so enjoyed watching Kalen DeBoer and his offense this season with the Huskies. Something like that is a young coach with ties to the program in the past may give me a little bit of interest. How about you? Yeah, I saw that name earlier. I didn't realize he played at DePaul. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think he coached high school football here in the area, in the state, to kind of get things started in his coaching career. I think he was um, – he attend, What do you, he went uh, – he played at Northrop, I think, four-way Northrop back in the day. And, uh, yeah, he did go yeah. to DePaul. And, you know, was on the, that, that Brahms staff kind of early on. So – yeah, he's a name, again, if you want to go that younger route and maybe a little bit more of a risk. Um, does he look at the Washington situation with Michael Penix coming back? Does he sit there and say, hey, we're, we're a potential playoff team next year. I get that I got a lot of ties in the Midwest, and you know maybe Purdue would be really, really enticing to him. But you know, if Washington has another great season and you know even kind of a notch above where they are this year, you would assume he'd get a whole lot of offers or be a, a name of, uh, of interest for sure. You think Michael Penix, was he a NFL quarterback? Not as a, a full-time star. I mean, does does he get an opportunity to get some reps in the NFL with that arm? I think he definitely gets an opportunity. I, I'd be very scared of the medical history. Uh, that would be my biggest worry with him. Uh, but, I mean, for anybody that watched Washington, I actually watched a little bit of their Apple Cup game to end the season a couple weeks ago. And, I mean, it's, it's impressive. And, and it was a reminder of what – you know, he showed certainly when he had time and when he was healthy in Bloomington, some of those throws he could make, uh, extremely impressive. But again, the injury history would be very, very concerning with me. So Kevin Bowen, the morning show, Kevin and Query, that's 7 until 10 a.m. weekday mornings, Monday through Friday here on The Fans on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So are you get back off of it? That Rutgers game on Saturday clearly didn't go well. Getting Nebraska coming up later on tonight. Bounce back time in Bloomington in your estimation? Any word on Hood Shafino playing? Um, I have not seen anything on him yet. Yeah, I, you would hope. I mean, Nebraska at home, you would hope that that screams bounce back. I get that Nebraska just had a great win at Creighton. And they did. Um, and, you know, I thought – Saturday, I don't know if we needed to see the 40 minutes to play out. You know, if you were going to tell me, all right, IU's going to lose their first game of the year, it's going to be to an unranked team, how does it look? I, I probably could have told you it would look something like what Rutgers did to Indiana. Muck it up big time, you know, borderline turned it probably into a football game, threw a ton of bodies at Trace, and outside of Miller Cop, nobody could throw it in the ocean. And when you don't have Hood Shafina on the floor, you know, you can't just, you can't sit. Xavier Johnson to the bench when he's having one of those nights, and he had one of those nights where uh, he couldn't score and turned it over on a pretty routine basis. Uh, so that is the blueprint, and I, I, again, I don't think 
they necessarily needed to see that, but um, 48 points is inexcusable uh, with, with how potent and how deep, even without Hood Shafino, that team is. So just critical to get the Big Ten home game. And then I think if you get a split Arizona-Kansas, I mean, that is, that's a really strong non-conference resume. I get that North Carolina is going to be nowhere near the win that you thought it would be. You, you obviously have the road win at Xavier, which I think will look really good come March, and then if you can get an Arizona or a Kansas away from home, that's going to look really strong. And just in general, you know, with those teams that you played, um, it's going to be a pretty good non-conference strength of schedule and all those things. So I think that'll be beneficial for Indiana as well. Yeah, Hood Shafino obviously was a big-time omission at that game at Rutgers, but even if he were playing, I think at least the, the win-loss outcome was going to be virtually the same for IU in that game. You agree? Yeah, it, probably. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the start of the North Carolina game, he was so good. Um, yeah, I thought when they lost fantasy in the transfer portal, obviously you didn't see a lot of moments from him last year, certainly not many outside of the Purdue game. But it seemed like when Xavier Johnson got going down that wrong path, they just didn't have a guard that they trusted, felt comfortable with, that they could sit Xavier Johnson for, try and send a message, and then still feel like, offensively, they could get some things going. I thought with their rival, Hood Shafino, that would allow for some of that to take place to where, okay, now you can throw him out there. He can be your point guard. And, you know, maybe it's Trey Galloway and Tamar Bates in the backcourt or, you know, Cop and, and, and Galloway or, you know, something like that. I mean, they, they tried everything. I, I mean, C.J. Gunn got in the game there late. I, you know, you can clear Woodson was trying just about anybody to try and see if that could offer a spark. So, would he have made the difference in a win-loss? Probably not. I, I, I do think he would have made it a lot, lot closer. But it was just a reminder of, you know, when Xavier Johnson is not at that, you know, February, March level we saw him at last year, and, again, you're able to double trace like they did, and, you know, Big Ten you know, coaches are going to follow that same sort of blueprint. Guys are going to have to hit perimeter shots, and doing it away from home. Uh, means a whole lot more than you know what we saw against North Carolina a week ago tonight. Yeah, I want to get the trace in a minute, but you mentioned Fennessy. That's Rob Fennessy, who is now in Cincinnati. He uh, doesn't look like he's getting a lot done there right now, is he? Points per game wise, I, I thought he got hurt. Did, did, yeah, I, I have no idea what what he's doing stat wise, but but I thought I saw he got hurt the other night. I think it's yeah, he may have uh, eight games is what they what it says right here is stat line, and I have not seen them play yet this year, so maybe I'm completely inaccurate. But what a little over uh, nineteen per game as far as minutes are concerned, and less than two points a game is Ooh. what it's saying. And I, I'm, I didn't expect him to go over there and light it up offensively, but uh, yeah, that stat line yeah. at least so far this year through eight games, injury or not, is a little bit surprising, I guess. When you went 19 a game on me there, I was like, whoa. That's, no, that's yeah, 19 minutes. I was, I yeah, the, the minute point. category right there, yeah. Jeez, yeah. I I, I assume, because wasn't it either him or Butler, or wasn't it Butler or Cincinnati for him? Um, I mean, Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I think you're right. Eric Hunter's playing a much, much different role uh, over, over at Hinkle than Spinnity clearly is playing for Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Kevin Bowen of the morning show with us. You know, the thing about uh, Trace that I thought he did so well and so active against Carolina of, you know, you know, getting out of double team situations, you know, passing um, out of out of the paint, 
and finding guys, getting guys open shots. And maybe it was just Steve Peichel has the number defensively and what to do against him and IU. Maybe that's the case, but it just wasn't even close to what it was on that Wednesday night at home against Carolina as it was against Rutgers. That was a little bit disappointing. Yeah, you know, I probably fall into this trap too often, John, where you watch Purdue, you watch Indiana, you just naturally compare the two teams. I think the thing that's impressed me the one of the most about Zach Eady this year, outside of just frankly his stamina and his ability to – maintain that production throughout the course of a game is I think he's doing such a great job of feeling the double team, knowing where to go with it, anticipating it. And I mean, he's a really strong passer. Um, and I feel like that is an area where, you know, maybe trace gets doubled a little bit more, but I don't know. I feel like Edie gets doubled a whole lot that IU just has to do a better job with that. Now, granted, I think Purdue is the better built team around their big guy in terms of guys that are willing post feeders, know better angles, when to kind of make the extra pass for that better angle. I think in general there's better shooters around Edie as well. Uh, but I do think the big guy can initiate a lot of that. I also think just a lot of credit to, to Rutgers because I just felt like they totally stifled anything. Like even they when Trace did get some touches – I just didn't even feel like he had many outlets to make plays like that. But, I mean, that's that's the beauty, I guess, of Saturday. It's unfortunate that it took that. But, I mean, right there, December, whatever, you've just shown on film in your first Big Ten game, this is the blueprint to try and beat Indiana. And it's not like Cliff Amore, Rutgers' big guy, played a ton of minutes. I mean, he battled foul trouble in the first half and even battled some foul trouble in the second half there. So, I think that would be a little bit worrisome if you're Indiana as well, it's not like they had this, you know, 6'10", 6'11", big guy who his length, you know, caused a whole lot of problems for Trace. It was more of some undersized guys throwing those double teams at him. And unless it was Miller Cop, guys are just clanking it. So Kevin Bowen in the morning show. Colts, of course, in a bye week. Uh, They are off until Monday. People would say they'd been off longer than that going back to Sunday night into the fourth quarter. Are we going to see Nick Foles, or do you think Jeff Saturday is going to stick with Matt Ryan? How is this going to go once they're back engaged next week in practice? Yeah, I, I see no way you can stick with Ryan again. Um, and I thought Jeff was super noncommittal after the game about that. Um, now, granted, it is you know five, ten minutes after a game, but I think Jeff knows that you know, what that product has been at quarterback, especially of late. I, I, I continue to think John, his shoulders impacting him. I just don't see – it's not like he was some 90-mile-per-hour 90, 90 fastball guy in September and October, but he certainly had more velocity on the ball than he has now. I mean, he could have had – what do you have, three picks? And he could have probably had four more based off Dallas just contesting so many of those balls. So, um, you know, I, I've kind of laid it out from a financial standpoint, from a evaluation of your roster standpoint – from looking one eye towards the future, whichever box you want to look at, I, there's no reason to play Ryan. Um, so if you want to still try and win the most in the short term and want to evaluate the guys you have around your your quarterback position and, and you feel like there is that veteran that can you know help you out here against you know still a pretty tough schedule coming out of the bye, then go with Foles. Um, if you do have one eye looking towards the future, which obviously Jeff Starrett is does not, and I totally understand why he wouldn't, then go with Ellinger. So um, if I'm trying to, like, weigh the Colts, like, what I think is realistic knowing the Colts and 
also looking at what Matt Ryan looked like on Sunday night, then I would go with Foles. But trying to predict what the Colts are going to do at quarterback this season is a game that I've been wrong on more than once. All right, somebody asked me a little bit earlier, uh, because I talk about all the time, that it's mostly negative. We've been mostly negative, and the reason being, this Colts team has been a major disappointment, one of the biggest disappointments, certainly in the NFL, uh, even beyond the Colts fan base here. Uh, and then it was explained to me by listener Patrick that I wasn't looking at the entire picture because the first three quarters on Sunday night in Dallas, really good. They were close. And then the bottom fell out with the 33 points given up in the fourth. Um, I maintain that this Colts team is more like the fourth quarter than they were like the first three. You agree with that? Yeah, I'd say the first three were the outliers. Yeah, I mean, it's a team that's lost six of, what, six of seven, five of six, something like that. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I, I, I would say those are the outliers. I mean, you look at, you know, I think if you ask a lot of people, I know Chris Chris Ballard, honestly, is a big believer in this. Uh, point differential is a big thing for him and kind of evaluating how good, how legit a team is over the course of the season. I think last I checked after that game, on Sunday, the Colts were minus 89 in point differential. I think Houston was the only AFC team worse, and I think maybe the only other team in the NFL. I think the Colts had the second to worst uh, point differential of any team in the NFL. So, um, yeah, I, I, I was surprised, to be honest with you, how well they played in those first couple quarters. But I, I don't think that was necessarily a true reflection of what, you know, we're, we're, we're 13 games into this at this point. Four, eight, and one to me seems pretty accurate of a record for this team. And you could probably go, you know, one of two ways with it. You know, you could look at this Colt schedule, and if, you know, you want to be uber glass half full with it, you could say, well, you know, if Hot Rod makes that kick week one and, you know, Terry McLaurin doesn't make that play against Washington and, you know, Jalen Hurts doesn't score, I mean, there's three more wins. So you could look at it, again, very glass half full. You could look at it glass half empty and say, if Chris Jones isn't an idiot, they lose to Kansas City, and if Russell Wilson looks somewhat competent on the final drive of the game, they lose to Denver, and then that Vegas ending, I mean, that easily could have gone 50-50 with Bobby O'Karake and Foster Moreau on that third down play. So um, I think 4-8-1 and one is pretty indicative of what this football team has been this year. Hey, Kev, do you think that Jeff Saturday is more of a – a coach on an interim basis that Jim Irsay wants to see longer term the coach, or is he more, as they talked about, an evaluator to tell Jim Irsay what he may not believe if he's being told from others within that organization? What is Jeff Saturday more of right now? Yeah, it's a good question. Something I've kind of gone back and forth on. I mean, I thought initially when he was hired, I thought pretty 50-50 split consultant slash Irsay wants to believe in it. Um, after that Raiders game, I thought it was like 90-10. Ursay really wants to believe in it. And I do think Ursay wants this to work out. I think there, there's just that emotional pull that impacts a lot of Jim's decision-making. And I, and I do think that's still there. Um, but I don't think maybe it's as much of a 1,000% guarantee that I thought it was originally. And then I still think, and it's just what we don't know, I mean, Jeff himself – you know, I'd be very curious to kind of put a lie detector on him and, and how he's felt now a month into this and if this is something he wants to endure. Because as much as Saturday walked into a bad situation, he also walked into a situation where he's immediately coaching his football team and practicing in games. That's a long grind from January 
all through training camp until you get back to, you know, those practices in season games. And that's what, I mean, that's what he loves. Um, so I think that aspect to it, being away from your family, I mean, they, they're grinding some long hours in, you know, the late winter, early spring, even when it seems like it's the off season, you know, how Saturday looks at that and views it. Um, I think it's another aspect, obviously away from Ursay, um, that I'd be curious about. And if we find out that Jim Ursay really did want to see Jeff Saturday as the future head coach, and this was a proving ground, I think what we're going to learn is that was a bad decision because the problem that you have right now is this team was going to be this team regardless of the replacement of coach. You might as well have left Frank out there, which you couldn't after that New England game. I get it. But at that point, put somebody on the staff and start fresh with Jeff Saturday if you truly want him to be the longer-term coach and want the fan base to believe it. Because let's face it right now, Kev, the fan base does not believe that he is anywhere near being able to coach this team the way things have gone. And these things were going to go this direction, and I mean down the toilet, regardless of the head coach. So to me, if you really truly wanted to go you know, against the grain or off the board or however it's described with Jeff Saturday as your future head coach, it would have been better served to do it and to make that commitment in the offseason. You agree? Yeah, I think that's pretty well put. Um, I, I brought this up to Jake earlier today. There are a couple of Saturday quotes on Monday that he answered questions, and if that was Frank Reich answering those questions in that way, people would be absolutely ripping him to shreds. And the explanation of Jelani Woods not playing really at all in the first couple quarters, uh, called it flow of the game is what he attributed to for that. And then when asked if Matt Ryan was dealing with a shoulder issue, um, he said something to the effect of he doesn't talk to players about their injuries. Um, again, this is the right shoulder of your starting quarterback who's 37 years old and 15 years into the NFL and suffered the right shoulder injury you know, a little over a month and a half ago. Um, again, both of those answers, it's like, what in the world? You know, I don't understand the rationale behind either of those. So um, I did think the honeymoon period is worn off big time. And to your point, um, it is going to be an extremely hard sell. Having said that, I think when you continue to have these sorts of results, um, I do think it's more of a reflection on what you have personnel-wise. And that, to me, is kind of the overarching theme of this season. And I've always thought that if you're going to make the move at head coach, you make the move at GM as well. I'm not saying that they'll do that. Um, I I get a pretty tough read on the Ballard situation. But the more this team continues to struggle, lose, have similar results to what they had earlier in the season, to me that's a reflection on your roster more than anything. We know this. If the Pacers win tonight, winning three of seven out west, that's successful. Let's say they lose tonight and they win only two of the seven. Is it still a successful West Coast venture? Um, No. I, I wouldn't call it a success. I would call it a I think what you did last night or what you did Wednesday night Golden, or Monday night, whatever night it is, um, you avoided disaster. I, I think if you would have gone one and six, that would have been a pretty disastrous road trip. Um, not only the losses, but the injuries starting to mount up with that. Um, and Duarte obviously not playing at all. You know, Turner getting banged up. Halliburton getting banged up. McConnell out. So, you know, two and seven, you know, I, I wouldn't call it a success. I, I'd, I'd call it, 
you know, it's okay. Um, but I mean, you just but being okay is a success, though, right? I mean, being okay with this group and the expectations is that yeah, is that okay? Yeah, is is being point. okay a success, or have we have we broadened the horizons a little bit on the expectations here? Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. I probably should be a little bit more realistic into these 2022-2023 expectations. Um, yeah, I mean, for a two-win basketball team, it, be, if you want the Pacers to get kind of back into a little bit more of a lottery mode, you would sign up for the two-and-five road trip or whatever it's going to be, uh, depending on tonight's result. So, um, yeah, Nobody's even talking about that any longer now. You notice that, right? That conversation rarely comes up any longer. No, I mean, it certainly doesn't, but you look at this December schedule, and it's brutal. And then, you know, if and when you do make that initial trade, because I think we, we, we saw it. Obviously, you won without a lot of your big guys the other night, but you, you're one injury, one trade to a significant name away from your death. It's really, really tested uh, pretty quickly. Um, but still, in terms of the season and where you're at right now, I mean, 13-11 and – uh, two and five on the road trip. Yeah, I guess that is an acceptable mark. I just hate to see how bad you looked in those losses. I think that's where um, I wouldn't call it a success in that, you know, you, you really weren't competitive for the vast, vast majority of those games. So that's probably where I'd come at it from a little bit of a negative point of view. Morning show co-hosts Kevin Bowen along with Jake Query, provided he's up on time. Tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. That's a Thursday morning with Kevin and Query. Here on the fan, Kevin Bowen's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. All right, buddy, have at it. Hit the sack. Well, you got to watch the Pacers, then hit the sack. Pacers action. Yeah, hey, I'm just glad it's eight o'clock. No more Pacific time zone games, right? Uh, Phoenix, Phoenix is in the Pacific time zone, right? I, I felt like they do the weird mountain daylight. Whatever. Maybe they do. Maybe I they do. That one is not at ten o'clock. If I looked up the schedule ah. earlier, earlier, so. Yeah, 8 o'clock tonight. Man, that's going to feel like. I, yes. Where are we meeting up after the game? That's what it's going to feel like. Yep. Well, make sure that your co-host is up in the morning, or at least I'll send him a text at about 525 or so. Thank you for that. You Appreciate got it, buddy. It. See you. See you, John. Uh, Bowen on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Yacht Rock Review tickets before we're out of here at 6 o'clock. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Hey. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Tom Deanhart, Jeremiah Johnson, and Kevin Bowen on the show today. Podcast 107.5thefan.com. Belushi writes this. So drawing a blank on the name of the Brownsburg baseball player that played with the Reds you always have on the show, that would be Tucker Barnhart. Now, I also will tell you that now retired and doing a great job with his new uh, alcoholic beverage, his product, the triple play, would be Drew Storen, also played for the Reds, pitched for the Reds, but Tucker Barnhart. 
uh, is active, and we're trying to figure out where he's going to end up. Said a little bit earlier, somebody from the Houston Chronicle had tweeted out that both Tucker and the defending World Series champion Houston Astros have mutual interest uh, in Tucker Barnard. We'll see. But Belushi, that is Tucker Barnhart. Jeremiah writes this. Given the most sports people said the Pacers were going to be bad, 2-7 and seven or 3-7 and seven on the road trip out west is successful. Unfortunately, with their surprising success, then it's not good. I'm not trying to lower the bar at all, but navigating this with this group right now, and if you can go... And get that third win in Minnesota tonight. That is a big deal right there. But I still think with this group, you take two and seven if that's the way that it goes down. I guess it all is dependent upon how this game goes tonight. You know, how they look on the the final, the seventh and final game of this Western road swing. But I think given the circumstances that you take it, And it's beyond being just enjoyable to watch, because it is. But it can also be more. It can be worth worthwhile. Um, give you a feeling that they're on a faster track than than what they are. But I would take it. I would take it. But if you win three of the seven. If you win tonight, for example, then you feel really good about that. Because that's been a tough one, no doubt about it. All right, tomorrow's show, Mike Chappell's going to join us coming up on a Thursday. We'll get more on the Jeff Brom to Louisville and who's going to be next at Purdue. Uh, recaps tonight of both IU and Nebraska and Purdue and Hofstra in College Hoop coming at you. Again, IU... And Nebraska on downstairs. That's 93-1 WIBC. Uh, up here, 7.30 pregame show. 8 o'clock is the tip from the Target Center in Minneapolis. That would be the Pacers and the Minnesota Timberwolves right here coming up later on tonight. All right, quick break. We'll come back. More of your phone calls to close out this show on a Wednesday on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! (laughs) 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. So I was watching last year. You guys tell me to branch out and watch stuff from this era and not the old stuff I constantly watch. I watched the HBO show Euphoria. I think that's about ready to refire coming up in January. Uh, it's about teenagers, and it should scare the absolute hell out of me. But I watch Euphoria, and uh, what's her name? Zendaya? Yeah. Who I think it. is an awesome actress. Absolutely awesome. Plays a role in this, and in one episode, she's singing this Yacht Rock 
classic right here. Jerry Rafferty's right down the line. It was pretty awesome. I think you're the worst demographic to watch Euphoria because as a no. father of teenage oh and my preteen goodness. children, it's a nightmare, right? I've never seen it, but I've heard it's just oh my, it's an absolute, it's a, it is a teenage parental nightmare is what it is. I just watched it and I go, wait a minute. Now, I was, I was bad. Nobody really knew. I, I disguised my bad a great deal. I think we all disguised our bad a great deal because it was easier back in the day to disguise it. Now it's just all out there and, hey, look at this. And, and people just broadcast their badness, uh, their their horse's ass nature. I mean, you, it's just out there for everybody to see. There's no disguising it. But, man, euphoria. And I'll probably watch it again. The guy that played... The Australian dude that played the Hulk, the Zendaya is an Edward Norton. No, what the hell's his name? I have to look back and find it now. Why did I even bring it up if I didn't know it? Zendaya is an incredible actress, I think. The hell's his name? Eric something or other. You think they based that show off of uh, Ron Colley? <laughs> not. Hey, speaking of Ron Colley, by the way, to um, I, I think I saw. Yeah, Eric Banna is the guy's name. Eric Banna. Is that who that is in that? Let me make sure that's Euphoria. The The father in Euphoria is <laughs> I mean, incredible. I think that's who it is. My goodness. No, I'm sorry. That's Eric Dane. I've got the wrong one. Just forget it. See what you try to do when you try to get me into this era? When you take me away from Andy Griffith and Seinfeld and Roadhouse and Fast Times, I'm all over the map with actors named Eric. Come on. Eric Dane is the guy's name, not Eric Banna. What am I doing? You know who Eric Dane is? Actor? That's who I was trying to think of. He is incredible in that. (laughs) there were a couple of episodes when he kind of went Dirk Diggler on you a little bit too he kind of had a prosthetic thing working there a little bit but it is it is pretty good and I I will say this you guys have actively told me to watch the White Lotus and I am on a weekly basis trying to figure it out I'm trying Season one or season two? I'm in season two right now. So you you saw I just the watched, entirety of season one? Yeah, I just saw at the end where they were sniffing rails of cocaine and then getting ready to diddle. I've never seen it, but uh, Morgan watched the first season. <laughs> yeah. She was just confused by it. Yeah, I mean, she wasn't a huge fan. They're all here. They're all on vacation for, yeah. I guess, the longest period of time ever with endless, and I mean gobs of money. And... Uh, they're at an Italian resort in Sicily, I believe. It's pretty good. It does entertain me. Jennifer Coolidge, right? That was Stifler's mom yep. in American Pie, the main character right there. And she was getting ready to diddle with a naked Italian dude that after they sniffed a large amount of cocaine. They were doing some railage. <laughs> Hey, by the way, who won the Yacht Rock Review tickets? That was Jerry Rafferty and right down the line. Got lost a little bit there. My bad. Who won those tickets? Jake Sanders was call Jake, nine. congratulations. Hey, Stucky, jump on here really quick. Is this going to be a good call or is this going to end badly here? 
clearly it's going to end badly there. Thank you, Stucky, for that. Appreciate it. Got to jump right on here. It sounded like you had some road sounds going on there. Maybe the window was open or something. But no, the White Lotus, I do enjoy it. JMV, we did dumber blank than our kids, but we were smart enough not to film it. I'm telling you, it's all documented out there. Can you imagine for a moment me just live like one one year of my high school time back in the day? I wouldn't want any of that stuff filmed. Some of it. <laughs> How much time in jail would I spend? I mean, seriously, things have changed a great deal. It was funny. I talk about kids today not wanting to get their license when they turn 16. Like, Blake's not really interested That's in getting crazy his license. That's me. That's crazy I was driving around Greene County when I was 12. <laughs> not legally either. 12. It's amazing. Hey, great job today, everybody. I appreciate everybody out there for listening per usual every day with Tom Deanhart, Jeremiah Johnson, and Kevin Bowen. Podcast 107.5. Thefan.com. Pacer pregame coming at you tonight at 7.30, 8 o'clock the tip. Pacers and Timberwolves. See how they close out that seven-game Western road swing. We'll talk about it coming up tomorrow at 3. Hopefully you're here with me. Kyle, great job from you. 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Have a great night.